to And The Winner Isn't, a podcast for the movie aisle in which we, that's Marie and Dan, take a look back at a film that didn't win the Oscar in the category in which it was nominated. And we try to decide whether our choice would have been a more worthy winner. So why Marie, obviously, and my co-host Dan is there as well. Hi, Dan. Hi, Marie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I believe you've had a birthday since we last spoke. Uh, yes, I did. did you Thanks for remembering. Time? <laughs> of course. Well, you know, at my age, yeah, you, you stop counting them. <laughs> How have you been besides that? Um, good, good, thanks. Busy? Well, good, that's good, good, good. Great, thanks. So last time we spoke, we spoke about Taxi Driver, which was my choice because I thought that in 1976, it was a more worthy winner than the actual winner. Remind me what that was, I've forgotten. <laughs> Rocky! <laughs> Yeah, I think we agree. How wrong you were, although convincing, how wrong you were. Yeah, and so it's payback time. So you chose. Let's roll it to 1994, hmm? which was probably in Hollywood standards, the year of Forrest Gump. But I'm here to tell you it should have been the Shawshank Redemption. And it came to Shawshank prison in 1947. Why'd you do it? I didn't, since you asked. <laughs> you can fit right in. I must admit, I didn't think much of Andy the first time I laid eyes on him. He had a quiet way about him. A walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. There are places in the world that aren't made out of stone. There's something inside that they can't touch. What are talking about? Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Damn it, dude, friend, you're putting me behind. Hope can drive a man insane. You better be sick or dead in there, I kid you not. You better get used to that idea. Oh, my holy God. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Too busy living. Too get busy dying. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. Damn right. That is a film that I saw probably when it came out around that time and not since. Though I've seen, <sighs> like, I think I've probably seen the ending of it three or four times, but not the whole thing. Um, so it was a good one that you picked and I was happy to have the chance to revisit, at least to refresh my memory. So I thank you for that, if nothing else. So IMDb is not very helpful for anybody who doesn't know what Shawshank Redemption is. IMDb says, two imprisoned men bond over a number of years, finding solace and eventual redemption through acts of common decency. That's not selling it to me. <laughs> no, because if it said anything else, it would give away so much of the brilliance of this film, Marie. <laughs> If you say so, Daniel. <laughs> so what else is happening? You mentioned Forrest Gump, um, which won. Indeed. Also nominated in the Best Picture category that year was Quiz Show, which I haven't seen in a long while, but I, I, I did enjoy it. Um, yeah, Robert Redford. It's a brilliant film as well. Yeah. Four Weddings and a Funeral. You know, my lasting memory of Four Weddings and a Funeral is I got dumped by a 
boyfriend and then that evening to cheer me up my friends took me to the cinema oh. that's what well, they that was a wise to. choice uh, <laughs> however you mean left out of the category i might add oh well, there's one more sorry no yeah so and the other uh, nomination in that category was pulp fiction also brilliant uh in a different sort of way yes probably is yes although tarantino is probably a discussion for another time because there's Indeed. a lot to say about uh, the man and his films um but th yeah that was that's a strong that's a strong category so of course there's always the crossover in the in the other categories as well so best director robert zemeckis was nominated and won for forrest gump we had tarantino redford kishlovsky was nominated for the three colors red and woody allen for bullets over broadway and, and then, sad not to mention in that list not to speak over you but was frank darabont for the shawshank redemption a nice adaptation of a stephen king novella yes entitled rita hayworth and shawshank redemption Shawshank redemption yeah there's not a lot of rita in this but what there is is definitely worth looking at agreed um, so let's see what happened in the so Morgan Freeman, was, Morgan Freeman was nominated for Best Actor, lost out to Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump. Yeah, interestingly, no female actress nominated. I wonder why that would be. Well, because it's a prison movie, Marie, <laughs> and this is not the women's section of the prison. Okay, so you're saying this is not a film for women. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just saying that there wasn't much room for ladies in the picture. And, uh, well, as you well know, the one who was in it um, met her demise just a couple of minutes in, she did. which sets us in motion. And the other one, the other lady in it was, um, who had a speaking role, I think was in the, in the grocery store. That's about it. Yes, yes. Double bag this time. Yeah, you get in and double bag it. Well, don't forget there are two other stars that you left out of this picture when you were introducing it. The great Tim Robbins, yes. who was not nominated um, for an Oscar. He was, however, nominated for a Golden Globe Ah. But I think um, he and Morgan Freeman both were nominated for Best Actor, and they probably split the vote. Ah. Um, and then uh, maybe underappreciated Bob Gunton, who plays the warden in this the picture. Warden. So it was also nominated for seven Academy Awards and won zero, which I'm here yes. to say if there is an opportunity for revisionist history, <laughs> here would be an equal, perfect moment for that. We're going for it. That's fine. Now, on a side note, if we're talking about nominations, mm -hmm. this film was nominated uh, for 45 awards total internationally that year and won 21 of those 45 nominations. Most of those in the international film communities, wow. which I might say knows a little bit more in 1994 than does uh, my beloved homeland voters. That's really interesting. So it was, and yet I was watching um, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel doing their little review of it. And it's what's really interesting about films like this is watching or listening to reviews of it when it just appeared. So when it didn't have the backstory, when we didn't know that it was going to be voted the number one film of all time on IMDb and all of yes. that. And they loved it even then. And it was absolutely brilliant to see that how much they both loved it the, the, from the moment it appeared. Because for the most part, they were both equally brilliant in their understanding of film. 
and, but, and, but you, and you took my thunder away because that was my last bit of trivial tidpoint that uh, tidbit that it is the number one IMDb film on the charts currently. Currently, yeah, it does keep changing around a little bit, doesn't it? Well, nothing has actually uh, surpassed it. Two is The Godfather, and three is The Godfather Part Two, and then I think uh, you have the okay. No One's Batman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, yeah, I guess if we look at different um, different lists, then other films are top. So Sight and Sound, it swaps between Vertigo and Citizen Kane, I think, on a regular basis, but. We just need to mention, I think, that Roger Deakins was nominated for this. It's probably one of his first nominations uh, oh, for cinematography. But Legends of the Four won that one. Tell me, tell me why you chose this and why you love it so much. It's a cinematic masterpiece. The beautiful cinematography, as you just mentioned, second to none. Who doesn't like a good prison film? <laughs> If you if you get to the heart of the matter, uh, I think the story is about hope. Number one, when hope seems lost, you know, it couldn't be more apropos in today's world, at least in America, where we have uh, wrongfully accused and wrongfully convicted men and women sitting in prisons unnecessarily. And I think it speaks to that hope. And then uh, who doesn't love to just listen to Morgan Freeman for two and a half hours? Well, uh, and the thing is, is this one of the first films where he did the voiceover? Because now you just kind of expect it. You hear that exactly. voice. Exactly. I do was, believe. I do believe in his career. It was yes. It is great to listen to him narrate a tale. Yes, and you know it's based on a Stephen King novella, and um, I think it takes a certain degree of person to be a a King fan. But this is not his normal creepy horror. That's right. Film kind of uh, story genre. So just a great film. It's one of my all-time favorites. I wouldn't put it as my number one, but it it, it certainly um, has withstood the test of time. The acting is brilliant. The story is tight. You know, it's a roller coaster ride. And you know, as they say, prison isn't that kind of shiny place. So that it does it does delve into the deep, kind of dark corners of prison experience and what that could do to one's mind. Yeah, it does. You say it's tight film. It's a long film. There's an awful lot to go through before there is a hint of any redemption at all. It's two hours and 22 minutes, but what I meant by that is it's, it's a tightly constructed story. Uh-huh. Um, I, think, I think the length that you're referring to echoes another piece of why this is so brilliant, because you know the story starts in, in the post-World War II years, so 1946-47, I think, is when he arrived, yeah. if my memory serves me. Yeah, right. um, in, in the movie, he's there for about 19 years before the big action. It's slightly different in the novella. He's there a bit longer. Not, not that that, I think, really makes a difference in this case. I never felt like there was any lag or drag. There were interesting characters. He's in the murderer's wing. So all of these guys uh, are, are convicted murderers, although mm-hmm. every single one of them says, not guilty. That's right. Um, you know, and so, um, and we, we, we get to see a little bit of what that's like. Maybe it's a simpler time, so it just maybe seemed for you longer. But I didn't, I didn't find that it drug in any parts. Uh, I, I thought that everywhere that it turned, there was something new that was revealed that kept the story moving forward. There, there was, and I, I don't think, I don't think it dragged necessarily that much. I think when I got to the end of it, the, 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 the final portion of it that I had probably seen the most 
that's a lot less of a proportion of the entire film than the the tale of how we get there. I think that's what I'm trying to say. It it didn't feel like it dragged. Um, obviously, I'm trying to pick holes in your argument. So <laughs> I think it is. It is. It's kind of dingy, isn't it? It's a prison movie. You're right. It's in. It's in a prison. So it's going to be a bit dark. It's going to be dingy. They are all the really bad guys. So there are some things they have to go through. And so the element of hope is really deep in Andy, but but lost in just about all of the others. And I think um, Andy, he, he's trying to instill a little bit of hope. In red, but doesn't, he doesn't see it. Freeman's character doesn't even see that there is any hope left at all. And I think that the and I think you've you've just hit on the nugget of what is the redemption. It is the realization and the ownership of the action. And and for Andy Dufresne, who comes in saying that from the get go, that he is innocent, that he has yeah. not done this, and all of the other negativity and all of the other evil and all of the others who presumably are there for all the wrong right reasons, if that makes sense. You know, they, yeah. they did what they did. You know, there's a little bit of question whether or not he did it because the way the scene is set up in the murder, I don't think we're revealing too much if we say that. You know, he's caught his wife cheating on him with another man. He uh, does the traditional uh, movie way of coping with that, which is get himself <laughs> extremely uh, drunk sits in a car, pulls a pistol out of the glove box, contemplates going in there and shooting them, and then we're uh, at his trial. And so did he or didn't he becomes the question uh, that will be further explored. And I don't, know, I don't know how much of this you want me to reveal or how much of the story you want me to tell. I but, think we're um, going to have to do a few spoilers because there's something okay. else I want to talk about. And if I mention okay. it, then that's a bit of a, a bit of a spoiler. So let's, well, I don't let's... know if you want me to do it now or I'll let you lead me to it. Um, no, no, but, go ahead. Um, I think you're heading know, there anyway, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I mean, we might as well keep the continuity of this uh, part of our conversation. There is a character that arrives some years after Andy has been imprisoned. Uh, this is young... Ali, Mc... Ali McBeal's former boyfriend who arrives. Well, you know, it's the great Gil Bet uh, Bellows, who yeah. I believe... <laughs> is uh, uh, one of those Hollywood good guys that probably doesn't get enough credit. I know that some people, maybe it's not his flavor, their flavor. Uh, side story, real fast, and I'll keep it brief. Uh, Gil Bellows came to Louisville to make a movie for one of our local filmmakers, uh, probably 10 or 12 years ago. And I ran into him in a grocery store and recognized him right away, as you said, Ali McBeal. I had seen some of his other work and just said hello and uh, asked him why I was in town. Uh, you know, obviously he knew that I knew who he was and uh, we just had a nice, I don't know, 30 second, 45 second conversation, but seemed like a really nice guy. I wished him well, told him how much I was a big fan of the Shawshank Redemption and he was very gracious. And so there it is. Uh, one of those <laughs> aha moments uh, for the week of another Hollywood guy that I ran into while I was not working in Hollywood at the time. <laughs> kind of funny. They all come to my hometown to meet me, right? Wow. Well, of course uh, they do. Yeah, so, so then this character arrives and uh, says, you know, I was doing a stint for another uh, crime at another institution, and this guy starts telling me, my, my cellmate starts telling me that, you know, he knocked off this guy's wife and her lover and pinned it on the husband, and, of course, then that spins him into a whole another um, element, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. Anyway, again, brilliant, and I thought well acted, and uh, an energetic, positive 
character that comes in. Although I found it interesting that they dumped him in the murderer's wing. But uh, then again, maybe they didn't and he just crossed paths in the library that Andy had so brilliantly developed. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, then brings yeah. us to a whole lot of other quality points about why this film is so brilliant and hope and redemption. So for the record, I have to quote from the movie for just a moment because mm -hmm. hope they say, is a dangerous thing. This is Morgan Freeman's character read, hope is a dangerous thing. It can drive a man insane, end quote. But there are so many redemptive qualities that Andy tries to bring about in this horrible experience by helping others. And I think helping others to see that redemption to see that hope is, uh, you know, something worth, and and even though they're confined, to make the most of what it is that that they're doing. I think not one your of typical prison movie. Mm. No, it's not for a lot of reasons. I think one of my favorite scenes um, is the one on the roof when they 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 go out and they tar the roof, and he gets them all beers and won't have one himself. But that just that that scene is lovely. And actually, I just I read. Um, the other day, that that was actually the Stephen King's um, inspiration for the story, and I hadn't known that when I saw the film. So uh, that I really I, I liked that as a as a little scene. The audience can't see it, but I can see it in your eyes and in your smile that uh, you are coming around of what a good choice this was. I'm pleased that you made me rewatch it. I don't think you're not there yet. <laughs> no, right. I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm All right, well, pick away, and then I'll uh, I'll rebuke and uh, and bring you around some more. Well, there are a lot of coincidences that just make everything that little bit convenient. Like if he had had any other cell in the building, that wouldn't have been possible, would it? Do they not move them around so that they don't get too in the, in nineteen years? You would think he might have been moved somewhere else. But no, he has all of this time to do what he's doing because his cell is at the end of the row with an outside wall. I don't think so. I mean, you know, my, my experience in prisons has been limited, I might add. Uh, <laughs> short stays, less than 24 hours in all cases. Yeah, you know, it, that's one of the things that if you read the novella, King uh, explores. And I don't think oh, okay. it's necessary for the movie. I, I, I think that's one of those things that if you start getting nitpicky, then then you're going to get nitpicky, you know. Hey, he I'm comes here to in. Me. That's what I'm here for. Oh, right, right. He comes in at the, you know, and and they put him at the end of the block. He's the new kid. If you look when they bring in the uh, the next, you know, there's there's a scene where they bring in the new meat, as the yeah. prisoners refer to the newest arrivals. Yeah. And they line them up and they take bets about who's going to crack first on the first night, and they're all stationed and positioned in the cell block across. So my guess is, and I, and I think it makes sense, is that they just, as they arrive, they put them in and, and around and around they go as they fill up the cells. I, 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 don't, um, I don't think so. I, I, you know, if anything, maybe, and I think this is maybe a speaking to the time as well as the story, is that our prisons in the United States have become more and more overcrowded. Mm -hmm. You know, in 1947, there, were, there was one prisoner per cell. Per cell, yeah. I hear what you're saying about the convenience of it, but you know, as the story unfolds in an isolated um, location as a prison, there is a certain rhythm to it. There is a certain order to it. You know, we see the cafeteria 
nobody gets shanked, but uh, there is some critter. There are some critters evidenced in the food. You know, yeah. uh, we get to meet the cast of characters who will be part of the story, and see their personalities there. We see them working um, in the shop. We see them hanging out in the yard. You know, what what is a prisoner's? We see them working out in the cemetery plot mm-hmm. of the uh, prison. You know, what? where else are you going to take them? You know, he goes to the hole. He goes to the hole a couple times. And then uh, they have a library, which he makes his project. And, you know, I think, I think because he seems to have been a professional man of means in his outside life. Yeah. And it would seem that the way to occupy his mind and his sanity um, is perfectly believable in the library project and the, um, he, you know, he has a geology fascination and so he's carving rocks. Conveniently uh, though, but yeah. For his chess pieces, you know, they didn't have a game corner when I uh, spent my time there. And uh, so, you know, you got to make your own and make do, I suppose. By the way, I was just visiting friends or relatives that uh, had made mistakes, but you know, whatever. Yeah, you can backpedal as much as you like. I'm not going to ask any questions. We'll leave that for the viewership. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that I take your point. I think that that is probably being a bit too nitpicky, but I think I think it's 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 an interesting one because it's set in a prison. You we very rarely see anything that happens outside to the extent that nobody even gets any visitors and nobody you don't see that either so there is this sense of the entire world is in the library in the kitchens or on the yard and then you know you get the new people coming in that's the biggest excitement because otherwise you know everything is trapped within within the confines of the uh, of the building and the yard to your point and i and i will confess i did not research 1947 prisons in the united states (laughs) to see but if these are all murderers i doubt that there would be any visitation that that just is my gut instinct about how the prison system in our country works Um, Uh so not so much i thought maybe you were going to dive into the convenience of the conversation that andy just makes a comment uh, to, to the prison guard who seems to be the uh, enforcer of the warden's will about uh, his tax write-off, which is uh, unravels into a whole nother uh, part of the story. And, and, the, and the beauty of it, in my opinion, is, is a, we've all been there. Somebody makes some comment about somebody's wife and look out, yeah, the guy's yeah. you know, ready to come at you. But you say, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Yeah. You can get a tax break for that. And, uh, and lo and behold, here we go. So I, again, a nice, I know that you, you talk about some conveniences of the, oh, this just so happened, but isn't that life? Isn't, isn't yeah. that how it sometimes just works, you know, an off comment and suddenly you now find yourself going Your down the path you hadn't, really, you hadn't planned. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has the odd thing like that. You just don't tend to get all of them within the space of two and a half hours. Maybe that's... It's a movie, Marie. (laughs) It's not a miniseries. Okay. One of the things that I am... I'm not in a hurry to, but I would be interested to go back and watch this again. Um, Is because... (laughs) Dan's doing the big hurrah. Because what I had completely forgotten is that as well as being a prison movie, it's a heist movie. But it's a heist from the inside out. 
And yet all the clues are there, as in the very best Chinese movies, all the clues are there all the time. I've been watching over the past couple of months a lot of Jean-Pierre Melville mm. films, um, which are all about the gangsters and the heists and that kind of thing. You've got your Ocean's Eleven kind of thing. Right. But this is completely the other way around because we stay within the confines of the prison, but the heist is happening. We have all the clues, but because I hadn't seen it in 20 odd years, whatever. The odd one I was thinking, that's a bit, no. And just completely forgot about it. The only one I remembered was the poster on the wall and I'd forgotten all the other little things that keep coming up, like, you know, it's all inside, you know. And, um, and so when I got to the end, I was thinking, oh, now I really should go and watch it again, knowing what, so that I can see all the little clues, but it's too damn long sit down and watch no because you just again. you just summarized perfectly the brilliance of this film it's all <laughs> right in plain sight you don't even realize because i mean think about this every prison film that's ever been made probably that's the common theme is the escape yeah you know who wants to sit and watch you know prisoners you know make jokes it's all about the escape and yet it's right there in front of you and you don't even realize it and and neither do any of the other you know, prison system people. Yeah. They don't even realize this. And, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that there's a certain degree of intelligence there. He didn't even let his best friend, Morgan Freeman, in the prison know that he was breaking out. Mm -hmm. You know, he never, he never let that secret out of the bag, which is the best way if you're going to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. And so, as you said, all the pieces were there. They were brilliantly woven in there. Yeah. They didn't even realize it. And then the aha moment of, aha, you see, this is a brilliant film <laughs> and the best film of 1994. Uh, not that Forrest Gump in its own way wasn't, you know, brilliant. It was a different kind of brilliant, but in terms of what the Academy has for a best, this was it. This was the <laughs> film that should have won. And you just eloquently summarized why that is. Yeah, and let's not forget I, about the brilliant acting. I mean, there is some great acting in, in this. There is. No, that that is true. I think I, yeah, I think you just need to remember the thing I said at the end was that it's just a bit too long to go back and watch on over again straight away. <laughs> Dan's shaking his head in in, in, in a time of quarantine. <laughs> we have nothing but time to watch great films. Why not take another peek at it this weekend? Oh, oh. No, I'm, I know. Maybe, maybe at Christmas. It'll be on at Christmas. I'll well, watch it. I mean, if you're, if you're watching it annually, if you're watching it once a year, I think it speaks to the brilliance of the film. Yeah, that's true. Because let's face it, there are plenty of films to choose from. If you're watching a great film over and over and over again, it's yeah. made its mark. And I think because I've watched the last 20 minutes over and over and over again, I think maybe that says something as well. <laughs> if I switch Indeed. it on and it's in the middle of the prison bit. I just think, oh, I don't know if I can be bothered with this. But is, is it too early for me to put uh, a markup on the wind <laughs> column? Well, I think <laughs> it's aged better than Forrest Gump. Let's say that. I think Forrest Gump was probably quite well. It was certainly novel and entertaining at the time, but I think it's. I don't know if it can become pro problematic now, but we view it more problematically now, perhaps, than... So it's not aged quite as well as, as Shawshank, for example. Well said. Ah, well thank said. you. Thank you. Yeah. 
I'm curious to know if this is the tallest film that's ever been made, because these, <laughs> these men are really tall. <laughs> and I only noticed it when Ali McBeal's ex-boyfriend turned up and was really short. And I was thinking, hang on, he's not that short. And then I went looking up, Tim Robbins is six foot five. Morgan Freeman is six foot two. And then of course the warden had to be cast as a tall man because of the wearing of the clothes and the foot. So that had to be a tall person as well. And I'm thinking, this is a really tall cast. Oh, I, I am I am vertically <laughs> challenged. I am scraping five foot if I stand up straight. So maybe I noticed it more than other people might have done. But. <laughs> uh, well, that'll be a different angle for me to, to view the next time that I take a look. Next time uh, you watch it when they're all walking in and he yeah. picks he picks the guy at the back is the first one to quit. You watch how much taller Tim Tim Robbins is than all of the others. <sighs> Sorry. Too funny. Too funny. Let's, <laughs> Can we talk about the real sadness, which is, and I'm ashamed I've not got the character's name in front of me now, the old timer. Yeah, Brooks. Yeah, Brooks I was going to mention him because he was actually probably the shortest one in the group, but he was also <laughs> the oldest one, so. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's do that. And I think the sadness there is his fear of, fear of being outside, of, of leaving. Whereas Andy, that's all Andy wants to do. He's frightened he won't cope outside. You know, his, his story is incredibly sad. I don't know if we want any spoiler alerts here. Probably not. I think we've spoiled most of it anyway, so. Yeah. Well, I think it also speaks to the prison system. These, uh, these individuals have done time. Maybe indirectly, it, it was a move because there was there was no more room for him, mm-hmm. um, or the system had said, you know what, what what harm could he do? And and he's forgotten. He's he's cast out. Uh, I think he did serve his time, although I think he was also in there for murder. So I'm not I'm not that wasn't that point to my recollection was not clearly made. But here again, we see we see a couple of different sides of him in, inside. You know, mm-hmm. he he has. Um, he has found a bird which had fallen out of its nest as a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm to think of the word for a baby, baby yeah. bird, but <laughs> baby bird. And, um, and he nurses and, and, and really parents that bird, mm-hmm. sneaking some food. There's a, you know, a touching little scene in the, and then we see the bird and he, and he has to let the bird go as well. You know, he, he's leaving and, and he releases the bird and he reflects on that. But we also see when um, when he is so afraid to leave, when his time is up, that he attacks another uh, prisoner. I guess with the mission of, hey, if I hurt, they won't ever let me out. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, we 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 do see, I guess, that criminal aspect of him as well. It's um, a de- it's an act of desperation, though, isn't it? That oh, most definitely, most yeah. definitely. Yeah. But if we're talking about redemption on an individual basis for each of these characters, he didn't have any hope and yeah. uh, his fears, um, which I think, I think that plays to the Stephen King aspect of the ownership of this story. Uh-huh. And I don't know if I want to say any more without giving everything <laughs> away. I mean, hope is, hope is the last word of the film, isn't it? It's the very last word. So it's clear that that's what it's about and that Brooks has none 
at that point while he's still inside he's you know safe relatively and has his place knows where he belongs um going outside there is no hope of him ever finding that again given the amount of time that he's spent and i mean it, even the word institutionalized i don't know if it was was it was mentioned in the film i don't know if it's for the film but yeah you know and i think that speaks to why this film resonates and why it continues to have a life is because even though they didn't explore but think about that now if mm -hmm. you if you had gone into prison let's say in the 1980s well let's go back to taxi driver you went into the 70s and you were paroled in the late 90s or early 2000s how much society has changed yeah yeah. In our lifetimes, even. Yeah. 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 That, um, you know, that adjustment is uh, is tremendous. There's another there's another line in, in, in this, which I think is actually the tagline for the film, which was get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah. And I think that's also really, really more or less just explored between Red and Andy more than any other. But if you were to put that on the other characters, I think most of them, including Brooks, kind of lost that ability to understand how to live it yeah. became institutionalized as you suggested and, and i know in, in, in the united states there's a staggering statistic about those who have spent quality years in prisons that are released and and don't and they're right back in into the system they they have become part of the system um habitually permanently give me another one i i, I don't know it all seems to lead back to the same thing though everything that I've got it or I can see now all the strands weaving together so when he gets the opportunity to play the music out into the exercise yard and locks himself in there in the warden's office yes yeah, you know, so, so that's a so, moment of, of of bliss really it is and maybe even a little bit defiance yes well yeah you know he he's received he, he's been writing letters He's been given permission as a favor because now, you know, he's in this agreement with the, the warden. We didn't really establish that. He's in agreement with the warden to um, set up uh, some shady uh, business mm -hmm. that uh, is beneficial to the warden. And so the warden gives him a little bit of favoritism as far as prison life goes. You know, he's, he's dealt with the problem they called the sisters Mm -hmm. group of these men that just basically have their way with whatever prisoners they want. Uh, that's the ugly part of prison, which mm. you know, they allude to, but they don't really ever show you for good reason. And so once he's gotten in favor with the warden, he, he decides that he wants to improve their library, which I think he thinks is going to bring some hope to everybody else. Here we go. You know, he, he's going to start tutoring. He tutors the Gil Bellows character, you know, um, the young guy, so that he can get his GED and get out and, and, and better himself. Uh, so he's writing these letters to state representatives to send them funds, and, and, and then he starts getting all these books and yeah. records. And uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, it is a moment of joy. And I think he's trying to share that joy with everyone. Yeah. And, you know, I, again, coincidental or not in your argument, uh, another little happy moment in what would be an otherwise scary, you know, sad story. Yeah, they're all very, I think what, what's the curiosity about him is, about Andy, is the way he, he's not a murderer in, in the sense that the others in there have all, they've, they've, they've done the time, they've done all kinds of crime, 
he's just seemed like, as you said before, you know, kind of a guy with a bit of finesse in the outside world, not nothing fancy, but, and then he finds himself in that environment and manages to hold everything inside with that dignity for that amount of time. And I, I just think he must have cracked at some point. Would, would you not think? Well, sure. I think that's what the hole is for. You know, when they, when they sit into isolation, that, that there is that moment. You know, the closest thing to really, I'll make light of it earlier, but the closest thing that I've ever experienced in prison is Marine Corps boot camp. Um, having experienced that in my youth and having your freedoms taken away where you are dictated 24-7 until you earn a liberty pass to get off a of base for a bit to reconnect with your humanity in a non, you know, institutionalized militaristic sort of way. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think it came from me day 11. <laughs> now they didn't number the days in this film, but I remember at day 11 having an epiphany that I'm no longer going to fight this. I'm no longer going to be telling the wisecrack jokes on the side after orders have been issued because with that came pain, suffering, and attention that was not wanted uh, extra attention, I should say, that was not wanted. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine that at some point there there was a break. I think they all break and they recognize. But in the great reveal scene at the end, when we see uh, that thing that we were being shown mm -hmm. all along in mm -hmm. various ways that, you know, here's the great reveal. We don't have exactly the moment, days, counted days of when that happened. But we know that that discovery was made after the gift that Red presented to him when they had the conversation about, I understand you're a man that can get stuff, yeah. which was really the beginning of the, their friendship. You know, yeah. that, was, that was the conversation. You're a man that can get stuff. And, and, and I remember vividly the, the line is, I think you'll know when you see, when he's asking for this rock hammer. I think, I think at that moment, because then we have to figure there's hope again. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm sure that there was a crackable moment. And there are, there, there are places where um, in the voiceover, the Morgan Freeman character alludes to his concerns, but prison is an institution that's individual for each of the people who's there. So I don't know that there's necessarily a, you crack on day 11 like I did or yeah, yeah. You know, that sort yeah. of thing. Can we, can we get to the end? Because last time, when we, when we talked last time about Taxi Driver, we did talk then about how the ending, or I felt anyway, the ending could be ambiguous. It probably wasn't meant to be, but it can be read in different ways. I think there's also an element of that in this one. And I'm just curious as how you see the end. Well, I see it as new beginning. I see it as a, a, a lifelong friendship reconnected and the opportunity for that hope to play itself out in what the redemption is, learning from mistakes, whether right or wrong, ownership of uh, one's actions. Mm -hmm. You know, and Andy in prison talks about how he realized that he was not a very emotional type of person with his wife and came to understand why she would run to another man's arms. Mm -hmm. There is that self-discovery. I think that's what his prison experience is, is that, that he paid for sins on a much higher level mm -hmm. than his actions, but now given an opportunity, he's going to do it differently. How about so, you? As well, as far as you're concerned then, the ending, the beach section, 
wasn't a dream. It was actually, it did actually happen. Oh, most certainly. Most okay. certainly. Okay. He, lay, he lays out the clues with the postcard. Yes, no, no, don't deny that. It's yeah. The question for me is whether Morgan Freeman's character actually made it that far. Or Marie, what movie, what movie were you watching? No, because, well, because, because the, the pragmatist in me is watching thinking, how is he going to get across the border now? How is he going to? And I think, and I'm not criticizing, well, I am. But well, it's night. It's night. It's nineteen sixty something, and uh, there's no Trump wall, and it's a <laughs> border between the southern United States and Mexico. So yeah, and it's it's like he said, who's going to look for uh, however old he was, sixty something yeah. character, yeah, sixty something year old parole violator. I think the ending for me was just that little bit too cheesy. <sighs> I, I would have loved it a lot more had it ended with him sitting under the tree laughing because we by that point you know everything you need to know and you understand that he's been leaving this trail of breadcrumbs for him and he and he turns up to the tree and thinking well I don't know if it's there and it was and it could just as perfectly have ended with him there and I disagree I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree and here's why and then I would have known you would have gone to have found him rather than I have to see them on the beach with that distant, you know, shot of them greeting each no, other. No, I, I, no, because I think it also speaks to the growth of, of Morgan Freeman's character, Red. And here's what I mean by that. Okay. So he, he made some mistakes in his youth. If you, if you watch, you know, there are a couple parole board hearings yes. uh, for yeah. his character. In fact, that's where we see him first is in a parole board hearing and, and he gives these guys the attitude like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm reformed. Yeah. I'm going to be a change man. You know, he's the con man. Yeah. And, and that's what they want to hear. And he's giving it to them. And I think if I recall correctly, you know, it, it says what he was in there for. And then he admits to it in a conversation, like, you know, he stole a car in the novella. There's a, there's a slight difference. And that is that he plans to kill his wife by cutting the brake line in her car. Yeah. And what happens is she actually picks up a friend and a friend's kid and they all die. And so there's an investigation. If it had just been an accident, nobody would have cared. And I think that's kind of alluded to in mm. here. It doesn't, he doesn't say he killed his wife because then I guess that's another thing they share in common, but it's his growth of being institutionalized, realizing through the character of Andy who has brought him this hope that, that given a chance, there's so much to life. And it's an adventure. And I'm not going to be this stiff, closed-minded bean counter. And you don't have to be that kid who made a mistake when you were young. Uh, here it is. And, and, and he had talked about his dreams in prison. You know, like who doesn't, you know, when you're in a bad situation, think about, oh, what would I do if I got out of here? Or, you know, what am I going to do next? Mm -hmm. And so it, it, here it is. They have an opportunity to go into business. And he's gotten to work on it. And he's so glad to be reacquainted with his friend. It's the perfect reunion of good friends. Yeah, I don't disagree. But I got all that while he was still sitting under the tree. And also because the colors are so different. So obviously we've had the gray drab prison confines. And then it finishes on, on such a brightly colored beach, you know, white beach, blue sea. 
Red oh, that's fine. Yes, it is hope, but oh. it's cheesy hope. It didn't need to go that far. For me, I was happy and I got all of what you've just described while he was sitting under the tree. Now, for the record, that took less than three minutes. <laughs> you were already two hours and 19 minutes invested. <laughs> Come on, so, come yeah, on, so you're so splitting hairs. So therefore we didn't need that. It just, oh, yeah, oh. it was tagged on at the end. You know, if that's the, if that's the worst that you can come up with my choice, <laughs> I am honored and flattered that you see the brilliance in my selection. Brilliance is a strong word now. Don't be putting words in my mouth. Um, <laughs> well, I think the IMDB folks would agree with me. Well, it looks like it. So if we're looking at what, where we started, it was that Forrest Gump won just, you know, lots of, the, of, of things for which it was nominated and Shawshank had nothing. And do we think that was the correct version of events? And I will go along with you and say that was not, that shouldn't have happened that way. I'm not sure that this is the number one movie of all time. I won't disagree with that. Okay. I don't disagree with that. It's certainly a top 10 for me. Not the number one movie of all time. Okay. I, I wouldn't, but, it's not my top 10. But that's but, not what we're here to discuss. No, that's it's not. Enough. It's not. And I think you can, I will concede that I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. And I was, in the end, quite glad that you had invited me to revisit. Well, thank you very much. I'm not going to go any further than that. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction, but. We should probably go ahead and pencil in on the calendar what day annual you're going to watch this to be reminded <laughs> of how brilliant this is. It definitely feels like a Christmas holiday kind of movie, I have to say. <laughs> well, I fall asleep in the bit in the middle and then wake up and watch oh, the end. That's probably oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I thought you meant about all the joy that was surrounding family and friends. <laughs> Uh, well, the way things are going at the minute, we could all be sitting on our own in front of the Zoom eating turkey. Yeah, this um, is true. Well, I think that draws us to our close of discussion about Shawshank Redemption. Before you tempt me into saying any more positive things about it, I think I'm going to quit while you're ahead. So you're going to let me put this one in the win column? You, yeah, I'll let you have the W for that. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so it'll be my turn to uh, present you with something else uh oh so bring it on okay so we've done the 90s we've done the 70s um i'm going to take us back to before either of us was born and i'm going to ask you to look in look at 1950 um when the best picture winner was all about eve not a bad movie at all but i put it to you your honor that sunset boulevard Ooh. was as good, if not a better choice. Are you ready for my close-up? <laughs> so I'm looking forward. This is one of my favorite films. So, um, and I think it'll be, it'll be interesting for us to look at something that's significant. Yeah, because I think it was about 1950 when I last watched this one. <laughs> Have you seen it before? In parts. Yeah, okay. In parts. I don't think I've sat through it in an entire viewing. Well, there we go then. That's um, something to look forward to, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. Well, if not, then that's fine. That's what it's all about. I think that's all we need to know for now. So we'll, uh, we'll finish up there. Dan, thank you very much for uh, 
for doing the chat today. Marie, it's been a pleasure. Well, you're going to say that because you feel vindicated today. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be right. Well, yeah, don't we all? <laughs> um, so thank you everybody for listening to us. Uh, if you want to get in touch, I am on Twitter at ReasyPie. Um, Dan doesn't do that social media rubbish, so you can direct all the, all the comments towards me. I'll pass them on. I'll make sure he sees them. Check out other podcasts and writing by the team over at themovieisle.com. And please join us next time on And The Winner Isn't when we'll be looking at Hansen Boulevard. Bye. See ya. Original music composed and performed by Martha O'Sullivan.